presented by MegaWare KeelGuard. Be sure to protect your watercraft from harmful rocks and debris with the industry's first do-it-yourself keel protector. MegaWare KeelGuard products can be seen at KeelGuard.com. And let's not forget about the FlexStep and SkateGuard products. As always, Bass Edge Nation, thanks again for downloading this episode of Bass Edge Radio. I'm ready to tackle a subject today we often overlook here at Bass Edge in our Lucas Oil Angler Spotlight. That's right, Kurt. I almost feel like we need your favorite banjo music playing in the background as we are going rolling down the river. Bass Edge Radio throttles down. know the importance of protecting your investments, so why use anything other than the toughest keel protector for your boat? Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our patented technology. KeelGuard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the most dependable, most trusted keel protection for your boat, guaranteed for life. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. KeelGuard keel protectors. Patented in 2000, perfected over years of testing and real-world punishment, the PowerPole is the ultimate shallow-water boat positioning tool. Swift, PowerPole deploys in seconds from anywhere in your boat. Virtually silent, PowerPole won't spook wary fish. Secure in strong currents or gusting winds in up to 8 feet of water. Engineered to take it with a lifetime unconditional replacement guarantee on the spike. PowerPole, swift, silent, secure. Visit PowerPole.com to find a dealer near you. Bass Edge Radio. Commence broadcast. In three, two, one. You're listening to The Edge. Everything bass fishing. Coming to you nationwide from the Bass Edge Studios. Kurt, hard to believe. June 1, most are out of school, which for fishermen, that is kind of a bittersweet topic as the lakes become more crowded. You know, parking at those boat ramps becomes a little bit stressful. People have a little bit of water rage, I guess, if you will. There's no doubt, Aaron. I'm just happy we're not talking about extended winters anymore. <laughs> yeah. Of course, up north, you know, things are just getting started, getting hot, and, you know, big smally season getting underway. But down south, all kinds of great patterns going on, and specifically patterns with recreational boating everywhere hey you know i gotta say real quick you know we talk about MegaWare keelguard all the time a proud sponsor here of bass edge and you know i love all their products of flag step skeg guard keelguard everything they've got but man, it really goes a long way too not just for all of us fishing anglers and boat owners but how about all the recreational users out there i mean they could use this everywhere then they could spend a little bit time up on the bank instead of running around all of our fishing spots <laughs> absolutely and you know i like the fact when you can pull up on that island maybe that's out there in the middle of the lake to get away from people but you know what i like most is my competitive spirit of being able to pull up the boat ramp and the courtesy dock is jam-packed and i go tooling in there right up on the bank i go get my truck and keys and i'm in line while everybody else is sitting out there like bobbers outside oh yeah wake buoys. so anyway all good stuff hey a lot of fishing has taken place with you and i personally since the may episode i know you've actually had two events Toledo and then what, Dardanelle? Yeah, exactly. You know what's so fun about this time of year is there's so many patterns that are always taking place. You know, springtime, you got the pre-spawn, the spawn, and all that stuff. Now you've got everything happening. You know, you've got post-spawn activity, top water bite, you start getting out on the ledge fishing, you got shallow water fish doing the bluegill bed. So many things going on this time of year. It makes it exciting that you can kind of really fish the way you want to fish and really get to your strengths, whether it's shallow or deep, uh, and 
everywhere in between. Just a great time to be out on the water. And, and the great thing about June is it's still not really hot yet. You know, it's not July, August, dog days. You know, everything's still real active. Fishing's great. And uh, like you said, kids are out of school and lots of family fun going on. Brings back many of memories when I was a kid of actually hopping on my bike and going down to the river and either wading or taking a canoe and, and heading up those rivers. And then certainly as my angling evolved, boy, that was always a magnet. I always seemed to get pulled right back up to the river. And, you know, I think uh, today's episode is going to cover a little bit on that. Yeah, there's no doubt. You know, time of year to hit the river is really good. And we're going to continue that education. But first, we're going to move right into the Marine Tech Minute brought to us by ProtectTheHarvest.com with chemist Mark Negus. First by land and now by sea. For years, Lucas Oil has been a staple in high-performance vehicles on both the road and track. Now, from the makers of Lucas Oil comes Lucas Marine products, specifically engineered for marine applications. Protect and lubricate your marine inboard, outboard, or high-performance boat with Lucas Marine Engine Oil or Lucas Synthetic-Based Oil. Learn more about the complete line of Lucas Oil and marine products. Visit lucasoil.com. Presented by ProtectTheHarvest.com. Exists solely because our host was forced to memorize the periodic table and <laughs> recite it before meals at the age of four. So he did it backwards. Please welcome back Mark Negus, chemist of Lucas Oil Products. Mark, Joe from Gainesville, Florida asks, My boat dealer is telling me I need to run ring-free in my outboard, which he says is specifically formulated for their engines and manufactured slash labeled by them. Do I need to add this if I am using the Lucas Land and Sea Oil and adding the ethanol treatment and upper cylinder lubricant to my gas? No, you don't really need to use that additional system. The TCW3 Land and Sea is already designed to provide excellent protection between the cylinder wall and piston ring. You have to pass certain industry standards and tests in order to be certified as a TCW3 fluid. The ethanol treatment and the upper cylinder lube, which are both excellent additive systems, will provide enough protection so you don't need to add any supplemental additives other than what's offered by Lucas Oil. Well, that question and answer reminded me a little bit of the February 15th episode of Manufacture Brainwashing. Mark, thanks for sending us down the right path. And Joe, thank you for sending in your question. There's plenty more Bass Edge Radio. Two fishermen came together with one agenda, to construct bass boats superior in design and build with a flawless finish, with our boat's exhilarating handling and smooth ride. Extreme rough water just doesn't exist. We're not just building a boat, we're building a legend. Legend Boats. I am proing with Clark Green, and you're rocking it with Bass Edge Radio. And we are back for our featured segment of the show, the Lucas Oil Angler Spotlight. Today, we're going to run the river and chase some current with undoubtedly one of the best in the game working these tactics, BASS Elite Angler 
Bill Lowen. Thanks for joining us on Bass Edge Radio, Bill. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Well, Bill, it's great having you on the show, and, I, and I've got to say, I've been looking forward to this interview and episode because as a river rat, I kind of, uh, probably some of our listeners agree, I feel a little bit neglected on our show sometimes in that the rage is getting off offshore structure and electronics, and certainly those are all great, very effective ways to catch fish, but I've got to tell you, the river is a situation that I am looking forward to hearing more about because it's one of the most productive, and let's be honest, that's where all man-made bodies of water start. So help us break down some basics really quick when you think of a river situation. What are the first things that come to mind that determine you have those ingredients? Well, you know, you said that it seems like rivers don't get a lot of attention, and I think that's got a lot to do with the quality of fish in the river seems to run a little smaller than, let's say, fish that live out on the lake on that deep offshore structure. And guys kind of just don't mess with rivers. You know, sometimes they can be really tricky. Um, Sometimes the fish can be hard to figure out. But for me, I was born and raised on the Ohio River. That's how I learned how to fish shallow water. Most of the fish you catch at home on the Ohio River are less than three foot. So when I go to a lake, doesn't matter where I go in the country, if it's a true, like what I call a lake impoundment, look for big tributary arms that feed into that lake or creeks that typically are going to have fresh water coming into them. And if we're on actual river system, you know, I try to figure out where majority of the current's going to be and things like that and uh, key on little certain areas like that all over the country. Well, Bill, you bring up some great points right there. You're talking about some impoundments. A lot of people, when they think about rivers, they might think of the Ohio River or Potomac River or the California Delta or the Mississippi River or whatever it is. But really, you know, you brought to a great point there is that there's rivers in every impoundment, you know, so you can take these particular tactics and things that we're going to get into today and really break them down almost as if they're uh, small creeks or rivers in every kind of impoundment that an angler might fish. Is that correct? Absolutely. And I always tell everybody, I believe that in every body of water that we fish on, I have what we call two different types of fish. I have a fish that I call a creek fish or a river fish, and then I have a fish that I call a lake fish or a main body of water fish, you know. And to me, those fish that live up in the creeks and up in them tributary arms, they don't even know that there's a main lake out there. So they're not a fish that leaves and migrates all the way back to the lake. They live up there all year long. They're born there. They're raised there. They die there, you know what I mean? And I, and I just believe that they're resident fish that never, ever leave versus fish that live on the main lake and they spend their whole life there, you know. So that's kind of always been my concept and that uh, seems to work, like I said, everywhere I go in the country. There's obviously familiarity there for you and comfort level in the river system. And kind of aside from growing up on the Ohio River, what has brought about that comfort level of fishing river situations? Well, you know, everybody knows I'm a shallow water fisherman. And I just like to keep myself in my comfort zone as much as possible. Do I have a problem getting out there and fishing offshore? Absolutely not. But I always feel that anytime you can keep yourself in your comfort zone, when things start to go wrong, you know, when you're up there fishing and you're not getting bit and things just aren't going very well, if you're in your comfort zone, you kind of know how to rebound from that. When you take yourself outside of your comfort zone and things start going wrong, you just start scratching your head because you really don't know how to get things back under control, you know, Um, and it seems like the wheels always come off the bus. So anytime that I can keep myself in my comfort zone, I absolutely try to do that without a doubt. When you're looking at these rivers, Bill, you're you're moving up into an impoundment or back up into a creek or, or whatever it might be. What are the three or four situations that you can explain to our listeners that you're looking 
looking for that you know has that comfort and is going to set those fish up where you believe they're going to be? What are those three or four places that, okay, there's going to be one over here. Oh, there's going to be one over here. What are you looking for? Right. Well, typically it's always, depending on what time of the year it is, that's going to dictate kind of what I do. Typically for me, the perfect storm would be middle of the summer, late fall, you know, things like that, where you kind of know what them fish are going to do. The other key point for me is going to be, is there any bait present? Typically visually seeing bait fish, shad, flipping on the water, things like that are always going to kind of tell you where the majority of the fish are going to be. And then for me, what I really, really like to do is I like to concentrate on areas where the main creek alarm or the river itself, what I call gets shallow. Okay. You may be idling up through there and it's 15, 18, 20 foot deep. And then all of a sudden the river will turn into eight or nine foot everywhere. And what I like about that is it doesn't give a fish anywhere to go hide. You know what I mean? They can't go out there and get in 15, 18, 25 foot and uh, suspend or just get out there where it's really hard to catch them. So what I try to do is concentrate on that shallower water. Typically, you know, that's up on flats, headwater areas, things like that, where they just don't have the presence of very, very deep water. And they're a lot easier to find. You know, like you said, it tells you that, hey, it's going to be one right there on that lay down. There's going to be one over here on this channel swing or something like that. But they very rarely have the tendency to go out there and get in deep water and be able to get away from you. Well, you know, of course, when we're talking about rivers, most associate that term with some sort of current. I believe that current is a fairly critical element. Is there such a thing as too much current, Bill? You know, I get asked that all the time. To me, there's never too much current. I mean, I can just use the Mississippi River, for example, a few years back when we were there. And the current was so strong out there that you had to stand on a 36-volt trawl motor for all she had. The boat would not move. And what that does is it just pushes them fish up in places where you know exactly where they're going to be. If there's a rock there or a stump or some grass or something, you know that they're going to be right behind it. They're going to be tucked up out of that current. And for me, the more current you got, the shallower they're going to be. You know what I mean? Because typically when you got ripping current, the only place it's going to be slack is up there shallow. And to me, anytime a fish is shallow and a current break, chances are really, really good that you can catch it. Bill, what would be a particular situation where you might fish ahead of current? Sometimes you see anglers fishing, you know, the front side of a piling versus the backside. How do you break that down? Is that just uh, trial and error? How do you determine what you're looking at and how to present a lure to it? Well, you know, just to kind of break that down for our listeners, current fishing can be really kind of confusing because it's like, you know, it, where is he at? Is he on the front? Is he on the back? Is he in the eddy? You know what I mean? So, you know, typically any type of structure that you have, whether it be a, a stump or a, a bridge pylon or something like that, anytime you have a where the current hits an object or a piece of structure, you always have what we call a slack spot on that piece of structure where the current comes up and there's kind of a hole there. It kind of creates a hole. And then fish will set in that hole because it has lack of current just like they do when they set behind the structure. And like you said, it is definitely a trial and error thing. Some days they want to be on the front. Some days they want to be on the back. And it's all just got to do with ambush points, you know. And when we talk about ambush points, you really want to think about how to present your lure in a situation like that where it's coming with the current always so it looks natural. I see a lot of guys fish current backwards because they don't want to fight it. You know what I mean? They don't want to burn their troll motor batteries up and they kind of pitch as they're drifting down. To me, that is not the correct way to fish current. I always want to be pitching upstream, letting my bait come naturally with the current and uh, put it in that ambush point to try to make a bite happen. Gotcha. So really important, obviously, to make sure you're throwing way ahead so the time it gets to the target, it's flowing through there at the proper angles and getting to the depth zone that you're trying to target. How about water colors? You know, obviously, you've got a big rain or you have very little rain. There's going to be different water 
watercolors in a river situation? How do you make those adjustments? And can there be too much watercolor, too much mud, or too little? What are some of the changing adjustments that you make based on watercolor in a river system? The only downfall to this whole pattern is that big, heavy rains can really just totally wipe your pattern out. If, let's say, you're in there practicing and the water is fine and you get big, giant, heavy rains there the next day and it's flooded, it's running mud, typically, chances are you're in big-time trouble. The way I always say it is you get too much too fast. Now, let's say that that muddy water's been there for three or four days and it's still running current and it's dirty, but the fish have already had time to acclimate to that condition. You know what I'm saying? Be like kind of if somebody come in your house and shook it all up, you know what I mean? And you're kind of dazed and confused on what the heck has happened here. And then, you know, after three or four days, you kind of get back into your routine. You kind of get back to doing what you should be doing. And I always just try to compare it to that. Too much too fast is never good. It's been like that conditions for a couple of days and things should be fine. Now, when I look at watercolors, you know, it's just like fishing anywhere else in the world. You know, typically for me, the dirtier the water, the darker I'll go on bait colors, the lighter the water, the lighter you'll go. So it's pretty simple and basic as far as that goes. But for me, always changing conditions too much too fast is always never a good thing. Talking about changing conditions and the watercolor, let's talk about changing fishing conditions. I think we've all been there. I'll never forget, you know, I'd practice way up a river, was on the fish. I come back the next day for tournament takeoff and stupid me, I didn't check the schedule and realize that it was opening snagging season, you know. So I'm not even talking about bass pressure. I'm talking about just boat traffic and just the general weekend traffic that gets applied up there. How do you deal with whether it's fishing pressure and you've got a bunch of boats up there and you've heard the term splitting the fish or if you just have increased boat traffic, is that more of a mental warfare or is there some legitimacy to how that impacts the fish? I think it's got a lot to do with um, mental. We always have a tendency to get spun out really fast when things are not going exactly the way that we want. And I think me growing up where I grew up kind of gives me an edge on a lot of the guys. You know, I mean, let's face it, here where I grew up, you may be fishing a creek that has 25 boats in it and everybody's fishing for the same 10 fish. And that's in the county, right? Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) And, and, uh, you know, I just kind of put my head down and like I said, I've learned how to deal with big crowds of people and, you know, it it never seems to bother me when that type of situation is going on. I just put my head down and do my own thing where a lot of the guys kind of get spun out in a situation like that. In the river system area, things like that, the fish are typically used to a lot of traffic, you know what I mean? Barge traffic, boat traffic, things like that. So the boat traffic and things like that tends not to bother river fish as much as it would, let's say, lake fish. Typically, if you know you're going to have a lot of boat traffic, a lot of commotion, things like that going on, you want to try to get on your key areas earlier in the day, earlier in the morning, because midday, late afternoon, the shorelines start mudding up and things like that. And all that does is, you know, them fish that you were catching shallow, and they just get out there on that first piece of cover that's still closer to the mud line or, you know, closer to a little bit deeper water. You know, real quick, we started to tap into uh, some fishing pressure situations there, and I think that's really important. You talked a little bit about keeping your head down, not worrying about other anglers in a particular area, and being able to just focus on the matter at hand. Do you also think there's a couple other elements that create your success, like maybe casting accuracy or a change-up of bait presentation once you get in those pressured situations? What do you think is part of the uh, successful formula for that, Bill? Well, you know, it just sounds so cliche because I keep going back to where I was raised, but, you know, when I was younger, growing up, I had to learn how to catch fish behind people and catch fish in changing conditions, and everything was always different all the time, and you had to figure out how to catch those fish. So, long time ago, I learned that you had to do something a little bit different. You had to use baits 
that everybody else was using, but you had to fish them in, in little different manners, you know. And I've kind of done that in my whole career where I always want to try to be using basically the same baits that everybody else is using, but mine's just a little bit different. And everybody knows in the fishing world, it doesn't take a lot to make a fish bite. You know what I mean? It may just be some little subtle thing like switching from an eighth ounce to a quarter ounce weight, you know, just ready to fall or something like that. But for me, I got a shallow running square bill that's designed by IMA that I designed off of handmade balsa bait. And to me, when I have that bait on, I know that I got a different square bill type bait than what the other guy in front of me or the other guy behind me may be throwing. So it just gives you that extra confidence that, hey man, you got something that he doesn't got. And I kind of do that with my soft plastics now. You know, I'm involved with a company called Tightlines UV where we put UV brighteners into the soft plastic to make them stand out and look different in the water. And to me, anytime that I can do something a little different than the rest of the guys are doing, it always gives me that confidence that, hey, I can go right behind you and catch the fish that you've missed. All right, great stuff. Hey, Bill, we need to take a quick, short break before we get back to some more river fishing. Bass Edge Radio returns shortly. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. At O'Reilly Auto Parts, you're guaranteed to get the everyday low price on the parts you need. Our guaranteed low prices ensure you're always getting our best deal. In fact, we'll match any local auto parts store's price on any like item. We have the parts you need at prices you can be sure of at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices, every day. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. as he returns with us on Bass Edge Radio, presented by MegaWare Keelguard and the Lucas Oil Angler Spotlight. Lucas Oil high-performance marine products. From real oils to two-cycle outboard oil that surpasses all manufacturers' requirements, visit them at lucasoil.com. It works. Hey, Bill, we started to get into a few tactics there. And, uh, you know, lately on Bass Edge, we have really started to break down specific tactics. And today, you know, I know some of your background and probably one of my weaknesses is swimming a jig. You know, it seems pretty simple. Chuck it out, reel it back in. Explain to maybe me and some of our listeners what makes a swimming jig so good. How do you set it up? What's your presentation technique? All those kinds of things. Let's break down the swim jig. All right, absolutely. Anybody that knows anything about me, like you said, knows that I love to do that technique. It's probably one of my strong suits. And you're right. It is very, very simple technique. And I, and I think a lot of guys get discouraged with new techniques where they think, oh, great, here we go. I got to learn something new. Um, and I think a lot of times they get intimidated. But swim jig fishing, what I tell everybody, whether I'm you know on a radio show or doing a seminar or whatever, I tell them just whatever they do with a spinnerbait, just replace that with a swim jig. If you simply throw your spinnerbait out there and reel it in, then just do that. If you're one of them guys that likes to slow roll your spinnerbait. Do that with your swim jig. If you like to reel your spinnerbait up there to a piece of cover and start twitching it and pause it and kill it, you know, do that with your swim jig. Whatever you do with a spinnerbait, just do that with a swim jig. It's pretty simple and the sky's the limit when it comes to retrieves like that. I mean, you kind of just do what you have confidence doing and it'll work. When we talk about jigs and colors and rods and reels and things like that, there's a lot of different things that'll work and I'll just talk about what works really good for me and, you know, I'm talking 25 years of swim jig fishing here, so I've kind of trial and errored everything. But for me, if I'm on a really good swim jig bite, day in, day out, I'll have three rods laying on the deck of the boat. One will have a black and blue jig on it. One will have a white one. And one will have a green pumpkin or, you know, brown, something that's going to match bluegills. And typically, doesn't matter where I'm at, way up north or, you know, even down on Lake Homestead, one of them three colors is going to work sometime 
throughout the day, you know, depending on is it sunny, is it cloudy, is the stretcher on windy, or is it calm? Typically, one of them three colors will get you through any type of situation that you can get yourself in. You know, when it comes to talking about trailers, I always category it like in three categories. One that has a slapping type trailer, you know, like a UV crawl or a pack of crawl, some type of trailer like that, then I consider that it has flappy arms. My next choice would be one that I have called swimming arms, like a single tail or a double tail grub. And then my third choice would be some type of uh, paddle tail type swim bait, like a double diamond from Optimum Baits is probably one of my favorite. And that's going to be huge here coming up because we're getting ready to hit the shad spawn and things like that. So a double diamond from Optimum Baits on the back of the swim jig to match that shad spawn is probably my third choice. And uh, definitely for the shad spawn, one of my favorite rod reel line. You know, you want to use a high-speed reel, something 7.1 or greater. And the reason for that is most swim jig bites are so fast and so violent that if you're not using that high-speed reel, you have a tendency to not be able to keep up with the fish and you lose the fish. So to have that high-speed reel definitely helps out. I always swim on 30-pound braided line. Doesn't matter if it's dirty water, clean water. And the reason for me to use 30-pound braid is that, to me, it acts more like traditional fishing line than, let's say, like 65 pound braid. When you get up in the 50s and 65 pound braid, I always compare it to like jump rope and the bait just doesn't have much action to it. Whereas on 30 pound, you can get a lot of action out of the bait. It just acts more like the fishing line. I use a 7.6 heavy action rod with a very soft tip on it. Um, I almost compare it to like a, a spinnerbait rod. We're actually in the process of uh, designing a Bill Lowen series swim jig rod with castaway rods. I'm actually in Texas right now and we were working on, you know, kind of getting the final details done on that rod. So uh, that'll be exciting to have that to look forward to later on this year. But really, that's kind of the nuts and bolts of it. And like I said, it doesn't matter if we're in New York or Lake Amistad. That combination, them colors are working anywhere you go in the world good stuff real quick what about size if you've got one or two size swim jigs quarter eighth three eighths where are you taking the size of your bait typically for me it's always a quarter ounce and i have a brand new swim jig from davis bait company that we released at the bassmaster classic this year and it's in a quarter ounce size typically for me a quarter ounce works for every situation the only time that i'll typically go to like a three eighths is if i want to kind of slow roll it down you know tick it over the top of the uh mill foil or hydriller or whatever may be there, kind of slow rolling it around on some rock piles or something like that. But typically for me, day in, day out, it's always a quarter ounce. Well, that answer right there is borderline cheating for Bass Edge Nation because you just gave us the inside scoop on everything there is to know about swim jigging. Great job. (laughs) So, hey, beyond the swim jig, Bill, concerning rivers, and selfishly, I want this answer for myself, what are your other favorite ways to kind of attack a river as far as baits? You know, for me, when I'm doing what I consider the river deal. I typically got about four baits tied on, you know, four rods laying up there. One for me is definitely, I love to have a flipping stick in my hand. My favorite flipping bait is a UV tube, a four inch flipping tube. If they told me I had one flipping bait to use the rest of my life, that's probably what it would be. That's kind of a forgotten bait a little bit, isn't it? I mean, you don't hear tubes a whole lot. It sure is, you know, and, and the reason I like that bait so much is I like baits that I feel like I can create reaction strikes with. And a tube does that so well because you can snap 
that bait and I ran lay down the stumps and brush piles and things like that. And you can snap it and get that reaction bite where you typically may not get that on a bait that you have to drag through there, you know. So for me, anytime that I can use a bait that triggers a reaction bite, I, I try to do that. River fishing, yeah, I always got square bill tied on, you know, and like I said, I am a square bill is so good for that because that bait is designed to fish shallow water. You know, most square bills in the market in the industry go in that three to five foot depth range. Well we designed the I'm a square bill to only go like a maximum of three foot. So to be able to take a square bill that you can fish up in that extremely shallow water and not have to worry about it digging and getting bogged down in the, you know, typically the mud and the muck that's in them river systems is a huge advantage. And then Naturally, I'll have a swim jig tied on to cover uh, water very fast and, you know, shallow grass and things like that. And then I'll have what I consider like a search bait or something that I can fish very fast and try to match what's going on with bait fish and things like that. And it'll either be a spinner bait or a buzz bait, you know. And typically with that combination right there, you can go up there and pretty much cover everything you need to cover. Kind of figure out where you can get bit at. And after that, then you can really get into it and fine tune it and try to make things happen. Right. Good stuff. So we start breaking down rivers, even into creeks, you know, especially Ohio River. You got a lot of these little backwaters and they're really great places for small boats to be able to access that a lot of times big boats can. You talk to a lot of true river rats and they love that 19, 20 foot bass boat instead of the 21 foot bass boat a lot of times because it's got so much more accessibility and even some of that times, you know, your accessibility isn't as great as it could be for somebody in a kayak or small john boat or something. Summer obviously a prime time to fish the rivers because you got the current, keeps the water water cooler, all those aspects that help river fishing in this time of year. What is those types of creeks that you're looking for to produce this time of year, even though they're smaller estuaries? To me, there's no creek that should not be looked at. The whole key to this deal is that typically your creeks on a normal average year always have fresh water coming into the back of them. And that just keeps the cycle of life going. You know what I mean? And I think that's why as the later in the year gets, you know, in the hotter the summer, them creeks and estuaries and things like that that are feeding into the main lake um, become so well because the cycle of life just going on up there. You always have fresh water coming in, oxygen, cooler temperatures, the presence of bluegill and bait fish and things like that are always better up there in that what I consider nicer water. My rule of thumb is go as far as you can. Don't ever just fish halfway up the creek and turn around. Mark Davis, when I was young, I mean, you know, nine, ten years old, I can always remember him saying, never do not go all the way to the top. And I think that's a mistake a lot of guys make. They keep fishing up the river and they're not getting bit, they're not getting bit, and they think, you know what, I'm not getting bit, so why go any further? Well, typically when they turn around, they just made a big mistake. You can tell a lot by a man's trolling motor blade, can't you? Yeah, absolutely. You know, and you talked about getting up there really, really shallow and things like that. And, you know, you talked about, you know, river rat guys wanting that 19-foot boat, and I run a 21-foot ZX skier, and uh, everybody says, man, you're a river fisherman. Why do you want that big old giant boat? And I'm like, you know what? You guys would be amazed at how well and how shallow that big skeeter will float. You know, sometimes I think, is this thing ever going to stop? And it just keeps going. So I think your boat choices and the way you set your boat up is very, very important on being able to get into them shallow rivers and get way up in them headwaters and access the areas that you need to fish. Yeah, certainly something I can attest to. I'm surprised by that rig all the time. It's like, I swear there's no water there, but I'm floating. <laughs> Pretty right. awesome it's, stuff. It, it is awesome. Absolutely. All righty. It's time for O'Reilly Auto Parts, the professional parts people listener question segment. Today's $100 gift card winner is Jeff Anthony from Virginia. Bill, this is Jeff's question. In 
and excuse me if I butcher this river name, but here we go. I'm fishing the Permaquamins River next weekend. It's a shallow river with cypress trees and good cover in shallow water, one to three feet from shoreline out to about 20 feet, then in large featureless flats all the way out from shore to small channels. Not much deep water in this river at all. Will the bass live shallow year round? Where would you start? I'm thinking about starting around concrete bridge pylons and moving the shallow to the deepest trees on the shoreline I can find. Jigs, cranks, lipless baits as well. What do you suggest? Also, the water in this river is black, Pepsi-colored year-round. Any help would be appreciated. Well, you know, that sounds like your traditional perfect river setup, and I'm not sure where this river's at, but, you know, he's saying it's got black canicky-type water, which kind of makes me think it might be Florida or something like that. I'm not sure, but for me, if I know that the river system is shallow and there is no deep water accessible, you know, he's talking about starting on bridges and things like that and then working his way shallow, I would definitely do the opposite of that. I would start shallow. I mean, if you're fishing a shallow river that is predominantly shallow, the fish are going to live shallow all the time. Doesn't matter if it's spring, winter, summer, fall. If that's the only place they got to be, then that's where they're going to be. Bait, definitely going to be very, very important in a situation like that. The other key thing that I would look for is I would try to look for pieces of cover that may be adjacent to deeper water. And now we're talking about an extremely shallow body of water. So deep water may not be that deep. You know, it may be two foot on the flat and it may be a three foot deep creek channel running three foot deep is going to be relatively deep compared to two foot. So anytime you can find a piece of cover next to some little deeper water like that, it's always going to be a plus. And I don't care what it is. doesn't matter if it's a cypress tree or a stump or a lay down, a daggone tire laying in the water, just any kind of piece of cover that may have deep water close. Just remember that deep water is not necessarily so deep when we're talking about shallow water areas, you know, and that would be the kind of things I would concentrate on and use the same baits that we've been talking about all morning, square bills, swim jigs, flipping tight baits, things like that. Just key on that shallow water area. And he said the water is black in color, almost like Pepsi. So that naturally automatically tells me that you're going to want to concentrate on darker color baits, you know, black and blues, black sapphires, black and reds. And one of my favorite colors for that type of water color is June bug. For me, them colors that are the colors that stand out very well in that tannicky looking colored water. Well, there's a man speaking in my heart right there with the colors on what you mentioned. And don't forget, Get, as Kurt knows, get on that washing machine pattern up those rivers and uh, those tents. <laughs> so, hey, Jeff, thanks for sending in that question here to Bass Edge, and we appreciate uh, certainly Bill's response to the question. Jeff, don't forget, send us an email letting us know you heard it answered on this episode, and we will send out your $100 O'Reilly Auto Parts gift card. As always, Bass Edge Nation, continue sending in those great questions for the show. We'll get them answered right here by our professional anglers on Bass Edge Radio. Send those to our email support at BassEdge.com and also through our Facebook page and Twitter. Always include your name and hometown. Well, Bill, I got to give it to you. It's no wonder you are known as one of the premier river rats on tour today. Thanks so much for sharing your experience with us. Any final thoughts for Bass Edge listeners? Man, I, I don't know. You guys kind of have drained me of about everything I got when it comes to river <laughs> systems. You know? We succeeded. Um, but you know what? It's, it, it's always good to be able to teach somebody something. You know, when I was younger growing up, somebody took the time out to uh, teach me, you know, and if they had not done that, you and I may not be having this conversation right now. So anytime I can help out or try to give back, I, I try to do so. Yeah, man. Well, Bill, uh, we really appreciate you being with us today and uh, certainly look forward to having you again sometime right here on Bass Edge Radio. We'll be right back. 
Now you can order Bass Edge Season 3 on DVD. Own the best resource for tips and techniques in bass fishing as host Aaron Martin tackles lakes across the country with the industry's top pro anglers, including Denny Brower, Boyd Duckett, Randy Howell, and Dave Wolak. This two-disc set includes all 13 episodes. That's over 10 hours of Bass Edge, including interviews, bloopers, and highlights, all for just $19.95. Order online at BassEdge.com. And be sure to check out previously released DVDs like Bass Edge Seasons 1 and 2 and Electronics 101. Bass Edge Season 3, now on DVD at BassEdge.com. Aaron, I got to say, you know, there's a lot of specialists in the world of bass fishing, but Bill Lowen is the true specialist. I mean, I don't care where we go in the country. The guy is always running up a creek or a river, and he always figures them out. And he talks a little bit about maybe not catching as big a bass up creeks and why they're kind of ignored a little bit. But I tell you what, you can always get up those creeks and rivers and catch fish all the time because they're so easily positioned, utilizing the techniques and the tactics that Bill talked about today. His level of detail, and I mean, you could tell he's really not only passionate about it but he's really good because he was just rambling that off i could not write quick enough kurt and one of the things that i took away that i want to make sure everybody heard was talking about that swim jig whatever you do with a spinnerbait do it with a swim jig yeah the swim jig first thing he said about it was that it's often you know tried to be made too complicated and he really simplified that for all of our listeners and i'm not a great swim jigger and uh, that's part of why i wanted bill on the show to talk about swim jigging so i'm gonna take some of those techniques and put them to use and there's plenty of places to do it all over the country any river or creek that you can get into that bait's going to be a productive one absolutely great great show had a great time thank you to the listener for hanging out with us on this episode of bass edge radio unfortunately we are out of time i can assure you the june 15th episode you will not be disappointed in the meantime i am aaron martin for kurt dove and the rest of the bass edge staff we'll see you next time episode airing june 15th so long everybody You know the importance of protecting your investments, so why use anything other than the toughest keel protector for your boat? Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our patented technology. KeelGuard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the most dependable, most trusted keel protection for your boat, guaranteed for life. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. KeelGuard keel protectors. The Edge is presented by KeelGuard. For more information on Bass Edge or to shop at the Bass Edge online store, visit BassEdge.com. And be sure to join Kurt Dove and Aaron Martin right here on another episode of The Edge. Brought to you in part by Legend Boats, O'Reilly Auto Parts, Lucas Oil Products, ProtectTheHarvest.com, Mercury Marine, PowerPole, and Rapaholic.com.